Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> the, it, is, it is great to have a handful of people in here, and I'm excited, uh, those of you at home as well, um, as, as we've kind of talked, this week is kind of our, our practice round, um, and you guys here are the guinea pigs, um, and yes, yes. Um, you know, it's funny, I was, uh, as, as we were singing, and you here and at home, um, the band was, that was all recorded, they were just lip syncing, but you couldn't tell. Um, you couldn't tell that they were off with the, the lyrics, but it worked out great. Um, so uh, that, was, that was awesome. I've decided that um, as much as I dislike uh, masks and I'm not excited about that, I'm just going to kind of have fun with it. And so I'm, I'm working on uh, a system of having something weird and different every week. Um, and this week I've got this, which I, I feel like I'm a stylish European person. Um, although John Strand said that I actually look like an American trying to be a European person. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, it, is, it is good to be here this morning. And um, we are in our series in Jonah. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out and uh, go to Jonah chapter 1. Um, we'll be jumping in in verse 4 in a little bit. But this morning, I was, I was, I'm, not, I'm not super big ever on titles, and I feel like titles for sermons are often just things that I have to give to Tanya because she really wants those. And, uh, but what I realized this week was, was I came up with a title for, for Jonah chapter 1, and I'm calling it Safe Harbor. And, and I want to talk about it because it's actually, it, it does mean something this time um, rather than just kind of trying to figure out a title. Safe Harbor, one, one definition for Safe Harbor is that Safe Harbor is the idea, it's a tactic used by companies who want to avert a hostile takeover. And so they have safe harbor so that there's not a hostile takeover of, of their company. And I was just thinking about how applicable that idea is to the life and the story of Jonah. That Jonah, basically, in his behavior and actions, he wanted to protect himself from basically a hostile takeover. He didn't want God to do the things that God wanted to do in his life. He didn't want to uh, jump into the vision that God had for what Jonah was going to be, be doing for God on behalf of God. And, and the reality is that, that I think I, I tend to relate to that. That the, the reality is that God doesn't really do hostile takeovers. Um, he desires that we willingly surrender ourselves to him. However, if you're at all like me in any way, we are still stubborn enough, we have a stubborn enough will that even after confession and surrender, we still sometimes see what God wants to do in our life as hostile and we just want to somehow like get away from that. And, and so again, I think this, this story of Jonah is so applicable to our lives and, and what God wants to teach us through Jonah's life is so and I even think of our, our, our current season of life and with everything going on right now. I, I can't imagine a, a more timely, uh, timely story, a timely teaching for us. Um, and so really what, what we catch up with, and last week we kind of introduced ourselves to Jonah and uh, we, we kind of looked at, 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 at 
what we want to be watching for in Jonah, those, those kind of those ideas of, of, of the conflicting vision of what God has for my life and what I have for my life. And also that, that idea of, of kind of um, that, that, that feeling of, of, of I want what kind of I want rather than what God wants. And, and so what God tells Jonah, he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to give them a message from me because, because their wickedness and their evil has, has, has come across my sight, my vision. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with them. And the reality is that Nineveh at that time, Assyria, was the world power, and they dominated everything through their military. They were known as a civilization that was always at war. There was, they were never not at war. They were always at war, and they were always warring, always defeating people, and always doing things like that. And, and they were actually a pretty advanced civilization as well, because every, every nation that they took over, they would... Uh, kind of adopt their art and their culture, and so they were very a very cultured civilization. They had they had the advances, the art, the the creativity of every culture that they that they had dominated. And and the other thing for being advanced, they were also incredibly brutal. Uh, they were known for their brutality, and one of the ways that they would they would keep other nations under their thumb is that they would deport populations to different places so that they were with new people that they didn't know and they, 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 had, they, they weren't able to, you know, like kind of make plans together and things like that. And then they would, they would burden the people with these extreme taxes or tributes that every person and nation had to pay to Assyria and Nineveh. And so really at this time, Israel was, was in frequent conflict with, with Assyria um, they, were, they were, of course, part of that known world, and, and they were dominated by Assyria. And there's just story after story, king after king in Israel that was battling against Nineveh or trying to survive under Nineveh and all kinds of things that had happened. And, and, and so really, as, as Israel was under this Assyrian occupation and they were heavily taxed, a decline of Assyria or the destruction of Nineveh would have been a super welcomed situation for Israel. If God had said to Jonah, um, I want you to go tell Nineveh that I'm going to destroy them and there's nothing they can do to fix that, then probably Jonah would have been more than happy to go and, and, and tell them that that was coming. But before we get to, to verse 4 and read through uh, chapter 1 in Jonah, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation, um, and that is Jesus' ethic of love, which is probably the, the underlying theme that Jonah is missing in, in this story and seems to be missing in his life. Um, and I say the ethic of Jesus, this, this love ethic of Jesus, which actually spans through the Old and New Testament. We just see Jesus in person saying it in the New Testament, yet the Old Testament leads us in that same love up to Jesus. And, and so we, if, we, if, we, if we were to look at John chapter 13, this is where Jesus kind of lays it out. And he says in John 13 verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this... 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so what Jesus says here in, in, in communicating, describing what he desires for his children is he says, I want you to love one another. And he goes further to define that. He says, I want you to love this in the same manner, the same way that I have loved you. And he says, this is the one way. If, and think about this for a second. Jesus has an opportunity to set for us the primary way people will know that we belong to Jesus. And so what does he say? He says, the primary way people will know that you belong to me is by your love for one another. That's how people will know that you know me. You will be identified by your love for me. That is, it, he, he, it's interesting because what he doesn't say in that passage is he doesn't say, people will know that you love me because you've told them. <laughs> people will know that you love me because you do these certain things in these certain ways. He says, no, people will know that you love me if you love one another. It is by love that people will know that, that we belong to Jesus and that we follow him. In fact, it's interesting because he drills down on that in, in numerous places. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, which I'm sure this would have been maddening to Joseph. I mean, Joseph, to Jonah. Joseph's another character. But anyway, um, it would be maddening to Jonah because, because Jonah's saying, no, 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 Nineveh, the people living in Nineveh, those are my enemies. And they, they hurt us. They abuse us. They take advantage of us. Yet Jesus includes that group of people in those that we're to love so that people know that we belong to Jesus. Later, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2.23, he says, when, when speaking of Jesus, so to show the evidence of the same love in Jesus' life, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That, that Jesus himself walked along this path, continuing to love even those who reviled him, who, who, who caused him to suffer. Jesus also goes in and, and basically says, it's not just your enemies who you love, just every single, really, ethnicity that you love. In Luke chapter 10, we, we, Jesus explains the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's so interesting that the person Jesus identifies with him is not the priest, is not the religious Jewish leaders who pass by this injured person on the side of the road. But Jesus identifies because of love. In fact, he identifies those two people in the parable as people who don't, are not really following God, who don't belong to God even. But he identifies the Samaritan who was seen as a half-breed according to the Jews, that, that they had probably all kinds of creative names that they gave the Samaritans. Half-breed is just the beginning part of it, but incredibly insulting toward them and, 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 and really despised them because they weren't as good as the Jews, because they had intermingled with other nations and, and, and they just you know, weren't, weren't people who God could possibly accept. 
Yet Jesus shows in the story of the Good Samaritan that this, this Samaritan goes and he loves, cares for this individual who's hurt, this Jewish man who's hurt. And by doing so, Jesus identifies that person as the one who loves and follows and belongs to Jesus. See, there was a character flaw with Jonah, and, and we've got to remember this as we, as we read the story of Jonah. That character flaw is that there was a lack of love in Jonah's character. Jonah was lacking love. And so the question that we have to consider as we walk through this is, is my character lacking love? And chances are good that, that to a degree, all of our characters, all of our character is lacking love. And so that's the calling that Jesus has for us. I was thinking about this and thinking about who's the New Testament uh, counterpart of Jonah? And it comes in a parable that Jesus tells, another parable Jesus tells of the father who had two sons. And one son runs away and tries to kind of live this crazy life and then comes back after he's lost everything. The older brother has been home all along and is just so disgusted with his younger brother's behavior and cannot stand the fact that the father is welcoming him back home. The older son in the, in the parable about the prodigal son is Jonah's New Testament counterpart. He's just like Jonah 2.0, um, maybe even a little worse. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so really what, what we see in, the, in, this, in, this, in Jonah's life, in kind of the life of the elder son, we see that when people get mercy who, who aren't as good as us, and remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this idea that we all think that we're good. <laughs> we have this bias towards ourselves that we think we are good and better than everyone else who's average. When people who are not quite as good as us receive mercy, it calls my own goodness or my own feeling of superiority into question. And that's what God does. And so, uh, so something to maybe wrestle with is, is what group or what, what people frustrate you the most? What group or people frustrate you the most? What if God called you to go and be his witness to those people? Because that's exactly what God did with Jonah. Jonah chapter one, starting in verse four. We've got Jonah on this, on this boat and he's left from the, the, city, the, the port city of Joppa and he's sailing toward Tarshish. And so in verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten, lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleep or arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so what, what we have in, in, in this part of the story is that is that you have these these sailors on a ship who, who Jonah has, has jumped in. He's maybe paid a fee and he's jumped in this, this ship. And, and notice that it left from Joppa. Joppa was a Philistine city. 
And so we're all familiar with the Philistines because, you know, that's where Goliath came from. And in Israel, back in the days of David, were, I mean, they were just kind of the mortal enemies of Israel. And they were just at war and at battle. And so Joppa was a Philistine city. And so these were likely Philistine sailors on this ship with Jonah, this prophet of God. And and it says in the text, it says that they were terrified by this storm that came from the hand of God. And it says that they even got to the point where they were throwing their cargo over. Likely the cargo that they were carrying was silver and gold and ivory and spices. And they were actually throwing that stuff over. And it's interesting that they were so afraid as they were crying out to their many different gods, they even got to the point of throwing their very valuable cargo over, which basically says the state of mind they were in is that even our prophets are no good to dead men. (laughs) So they were at a point where they thought they were going to die. And so they're crying out to their gods. And and then you look at what is Jonah's behavior in this storm? Jonah's down in the bottom of the ship and he's sleeping. And so the captain goes down after, after these Gentiles, these Philistines are crying out to their gods they're, they're praying, they're praying during this time. And what is Jonah, the prophet of God doing? <laughs> He's asleep. There is this storm that they are in that is surrounding them, that there is little hope or light at the end of the tunnel. And what is the prophet of God doing? He's sleeping. And he's not like getting rest because he knows that, you know, God wants me to be rested so I can accomplish things that he wants me to accomplish. He's sleeping to avoid dealing with God or dealing with others. And I don't know if you relate to that, but but if if I start to lose hope and I'm frustrated, my thing is I just want to go sleep. I just don't want to deal with anything. I just want to go sleep. I don't want to wake up for a long time. In fact, maybe if I could sleep long enough, all of this will go away. And I think that's where Jonah was. He wasn't sleeping because he was taking care of himself. He was sleeping because he was avoiding God and everyone else. And so the captain goes down and he wakes up Jonah and he says, what are you doing? He says, wake up and cry out to your God. Maybe your God can do something because we're praying to our gods and they're not really doing anything. This, we're all going to die. And it's interesting because there's no indication in the first chapter during this storm, there's no indication in the text that Jonah actually cries out to God. Isn't it interesting that a prophet of God in the midst of the storm doesn't even bother to call out to God. And, and, so, and so here we have Jonah, he, he, he's awoken. And I think one of the, again, one of the questions that we can ask ourselves is, what do you and I do in the midst of that storm? It doesn't take much of our imagination to imagine us being in a storm. Because we are in the midst of a storm right now that keeps getting worse. I know that I have a desire to go and just sleep it off in hope that things get better. But what would a person who follows Jesus be doing in the midst of this storm? Here's a hint. Don't do what Jonah did. (laughs) 
And, and, and so Jonah wakes up, and, and so then we, we continue seeing what, what, what happens in the story. And, and in, verse, in verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where did you come from? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who, by the way, made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And, and, and so here... Here Jonah is identified and he says, okay, I'm a Hebrew. I'm not a Philistine. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm, as you might know, I'm one of God's chosen people. And I, I fear Yahweh, the one true God. And, and he's the God of heaven. And by the way, he's the God who created and, 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 and owns and, and speaks to the sea and the dry land. And by the way, I'm, I'm actually trying to get away from him. And so these, these sailors are terrified. And they say, okay, wh what did you do? <laughs> I mean, it's like that moment of, of something happens and kind of, what did you do? And so Jonah tells them that he's running from God. He's disobeying God. And so they say, okay, what, what, do, what do we do? What do we do about this? Because we don't want to die and we now know that it's your fault this is happening. And so Jonah has a solution for them. But think for a second. If you didn't have the text to read what's next, think logically as someone who knows the Bible and knows Jesus, knows how God works, knows the character of God, what would be the logical solution that a prophet of God would give those people? Think about that for a second. So God told me to go to these people, and I said no. And I went to the port city of Joppa, and I, and I found a boat that was going the opposite direction. I got on the boat, and now there's a storm that's happening that I know is from God's hand, and all the sailors know it's from God's hand, and we're all going to die. And so they're saying, hey, what are you going to do? Because our lives are threatened what would a prophet of God, knowing God and his character, what would be the logical thing for him to say? Okay, guys, here's how we get out of the storm. Turn the boat around and drop me off at Nineveh. Because that's the solution. That's the logical solution that Jonah should have given. But what did Jonah say? He said, they said to them, him, in verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, turn the ship around and drop me off at Nineveh because the obedience is the, the way to get out of this storm. Nope. He says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew even more and more against them. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord. They called out to the Lord, Yahweh, and said, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his us on us his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then these men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here's what Jonah did. Jonah, rather than obedience, said, I would rather be dead than obey God and go and give the Ninevites another chance. I, I, Jonah hated the Ninevites so much that he said, I would rather lose my life right now than go and tell them that God's wrath is about to come on them that they might have a window of opportunity to repent. Because you see, Jonah knows that if he's thrown in the water, he's going to drown. In a sense, Jonah was going to commit suicide before obeying God. You see, Jonah's spiraling sin was like this. He, he first, it was rebellion against God. He rebelled against God and then... As we see in the boat, he refused to pray to God when a storm came up. And then he decides he would rather die than obey God. And then think about this. The, the solution he gave to the, to the Philistines on that boat was throw me into the sea and Yahweh will be pleased. What does that communicate to these pagans? who follow all kinds of gods. Not only did Jonah rebel against God, not only did he refuse to pray to God, not only would he rather die than obey God, but then he reinforced false beliefs about Yahweh to the Philistines. By doing what he did, he basically said, Yahweh is pleased with human sacrifices, just like all the other gods. He was communicating false theology, wrong belief about God in the midst of his sin and obedience. A prophet of God who's supposed to correct the wrong thinking about God to the people. Yet he reinforces it. He basically says, you know what? My God, Yahweh, delights in human sacrifices. He could not have gotten further off of what God wanted. You know, it's interesting in this story, and as, as we read through it, you've got this storm, you've got these sailors who are terrified, and you've got this guy in the, in the, in the bottom of the boat sleeping, which is pretty awesome, because it reminds me of a story in Matthew chapter 8. Listen to this. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, Jonah went and went to sleep 
to avoid God because he distrusted God and God then disciplined him. Jesus was sleeping, not to avoid God, but to honor God because he was running like all day (laughs) and he knew he needed to take care of his body because he trusted God And when the disciples were afraid, he challenged, rather than turning them away from the character of God or or having bad theology, he challenged their lack of faith and recognizing God in the midst of it. And he recognized God as the God of the sea and the dry land, and Jesus calmed the storm. And that revealed what sort of man this Jesus was. You see... Jesus stands in stark contrast to what we see in the life of Jonah. Here's the problem with Jonah. Jonah was unprepared to adequately witness to the sailors. He was in an opportunity, God brought an opportunity into his life where he could testify of God's greatness to a group of Philistines And not only did he not do that, but he led them further away from God by telling them false things about God. You see, there are storms everywhere. And sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we just don't care. Sometimes we're just concerned with ourselves, like Jonah. But when the opportunity arises, Jonah leads them away from God when he has an opportunity to lead him toward God. Remember I said that Jonah would rather be dead than obey God? How disappointed do you think Jonah was when the fish came out in verse 17 and swallowed him? Like, what do you think Jonah said at that moment? Kind of like, I don't think Jonah thought he was gonna die by the fish. I thought he was kind of like, well, this didn't work. I should have asked them to just run me through with a sword and then dump my body out because God's not going to let me get away with this. Jonah was unprepared to adequately witness to the sailors. Secondly, he was unresponsive to God's pursuit. The sailors cry out to their gods and then when they find out Jonah follows Yahweh, they actually pursue, they cry out to Yahweh. I mean, I don't, I don't think they became God-fearing men, but they added Yahweh to their list of gods, and they saw Yahweh was more powerful than any of their gods that day. But Jonah, nothing. Didn't even respond to God. He just said, you know what? Rather than coming to God in prayer, I would rather be dead. You know, sometimes... Prayer is hard because we are holding something back from God. It might be sin in our life. It might be we are withholding gratitude. It could be that we are withholding mercy from someone else and prayer is a dangerous place for us to go. Maybe it's because we just lack that humility. But sometimes prayer is hard. Here's where we land today as we see the story of Jonah as told in chapter one. Here's some things that I would ask you to pause and consider this week. And and the first question is this, is there a lack of love in your character? Is there a lack of love in your character? And who would you rather not see receive mercy? 
Because that will probably, if you ask your question, who would I rather not see mercy? That probably will guide me to that place in my heart that lacks love. Second question is this. What is your habit in the storm? Do you cry out to God in the midst of the storm or do you fill in the blank? Do you try to ignore it? Do you try to fall asleep? Do you, do you try to fix it yourself? Or do you cry out to God? And then finally this. When it comes to what God might be moving you to do, are you prepared and responsive or are you like Jonah? Unprepared to represent God and unresponsive to God's pursuit. The key to that is gonna be humility and trust. I don't believe that there has ever been a time in my lifetime, probably in your lifetime as well, that it has been more difficult to love like Jesus. I don't think there will ever be a time moving forward than the moment that we're in to love like Jesus. I mean, now that I've said that, I've probably cursed us all. (laughs) But I have never experienced a time that is harder to love the people that God calls me to love. But God has you and I in this moment intentionally, by design. And you know what Jesus says about us? The primary way that people will know that you love Jesus is that you love others. That's where we have to start. And so we have to start. If we want to see hope, if we want to see light, if we want to see things move forward in the world in which we live, we have to do the opposite of Jonah. We have to begin with ourselves and ask ourselves, where is the lack of love in my character? And who am I choosing not to love because I would rather die than love those people? This comes down to the question of, have have I really surrendered my life to Jesus? And if I have, am I actually going towards God's vision for me? Or am I running the opposite way? Because I believe God has us in a moment today, in this season, that God's saying, I want you to love as hard as it is. I want you to be my presence and my power in the world around you. And it starts with loving your enemies, those who are different from you, those who are like you. It starts with loving. That's where we begin. The worship team's gonna come back and we're gonna sing together. And we're gonna sing a song that asks God to make us more like Jesus. And really what we're doing is asking God to help us to love so that people know that we belong to Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning and God, I thank you that you have not left us and God, that you even have us in this moment in time 
to help us understand where we are with you. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be like Jonah or the older son, but we would be like Jesus. That we would love beyond what people think is even possible. God, that we would be a people who could truly be identified as belonging to Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.